imagine all life as you know it stopping instantaneously and every molecule in your body exploding at the speed of light. Total Protonic Reversal. Protonic Reversal. Protonic Reversal. With your host, Conan Neutron. Broadcasting from a secret underground lair in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. A gigantic middle finger to everything that is rock about music, rock and roll, and corporate power. The thing is, though... If you don't laugh, you're going to go on a killing spree with shot and nails. Confidence of a hero or fool, I wasn't exactly certain which. Could not be more professional. It's That's like a science thing, right? Indeed. 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 It is a science thing. It is a science place. It's a scientific fact that we are all up in your face. It is time for the one, the only, Protonic Reversal. It, it's it, That theme song being as reverent as it is is really funny when I'm not in a reverent mood because I can, I can feel the emotions of being goofy and having a good time, but then also uh, be sitting around in, in, my, in my reality. Uh, which is a very dour and bizarre way to uh, start a show with an excellent guest, which is to say that uh, we're welcoming Mr. Steve Until. Welcome to the show, dude. Thanks for having me. You called me out earlier for uh, using skosh as an official term of measurement and being, <laughs> being officially moved over to the to the Midwest lexicon as it is. And uh, yeah, guilty as charged. Uh, you, have a, you have a killer in your record, and uh, it, it comes with a... A book of poetry that, so the poetry is called Harvest Man, but you also have the albums you've released as Harvest Man. Uh, I'd also like to point out that a friend of mine applies anything with man at the end of it, that you say min, so like Grinderman for uh, Nick Cave's band. He does excellent work. He's a good actuary. Okay, so, <laughs> so, so Harvestman. Harvestman, yeah. Mr. Harvestman. Yeah. He does excellent okay. work. He's, he's, he's very good. <laughs> Uh, any particular reason because you have the, the record you have the acoustic record which is beautiful it's awesome and then you, you have and you have the book of poetry which is also beautiful and awesome as well uh, and they're, it's kind of like a co-release like those are both came out at the same time sort of yeah was, does that well, so what I was going to ask was that intentional or did that just kind of end up working out that way um it just kind of ended up working out that way the the majority of the entire process of the whole record was largely accidental. I never sat down to create it. I just, uh, I kind of learned how to get out of my own way and let, let it happen. Mm. Um, um, and the, the poetry book, kind of the same thing. And they kind of fed off each other. I mean, yeah, you know, I mean, even coming from the, the scene where you and I come from our music saying the words, I'm putting out a, a poetry book. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, a poetry yeah, it's like, book. It's like, yeah. <laughs> putting out a uh, poet, poetry book. Yeah. It's <clears throat> almost like you have to like just speak in hush tones and. <laughs> yeah. So. Um, and, and then so, like give uh, some caveat like <clears throat> after that too. Like in, as if, you know, all of us haven't, you know, had that moment of self-awareness, but you know, what I like about it, though, is it's very authentically you. Uh, sorry, just to totally railroad you on it, but like, I mean, a lot of it seems like you know, it's like, oh, these these very much could be like lyrics. It's but they don't, but they're presented in such a way that 
Like it's the good side of, of poetry. Like I, again, it, for me, it's like acoustic albums. I don't like most acoustic albums, and it isn't because I don't like the acoustic guitar. I just don't like the trappings of them. And in the same way, the poetry and prose that I do like, I usually like in spite of of the trappings. And I think it, it works well because it seems very much like it's in your voice. So, I mean, was there some trepidation just coming from like you know, yeah, that punk rock? Not anti-poetry, but sort of like. <laughs> yeah, I mean, clearly stigma. we have a, po- a yeah. I mean, we have a poetic tradition. I mean, we got frickin' Patty Smith and yeah. you know John Doe, and you know, all, you know, it, it's it's part of our legacy. But but I guess we grew up in the more irreverent hardcore era where you know, anything too arty, especially as West Coasters, is like ah, oh, fuck like, off. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Whatever, um, Sisters of Mercy. yeah man so i mean the the whole record like all of it is super out of my comfort zone like as far as where you know the whatever limitations i might put on my own um where i see myself fitting in artistically sure uh so the record kind of started that i mean i i first thought i had accidentally created a an ambient record i was uh, at my wife's home in North Germany where her family has lived for over 500 years on the exact same house site. That's some homesteading that, right there. That That's some serious homesteading. And so um, I it always feel like the air is a bit heavier there. You know, uh, there's a lot of kind of familial ghosts or whatever, like the energy is mm-hmm. deep. It's not like, I mean, I'm, I'm the descendant of people that just kept moving. You know, right, kept right, going. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> no, no matter. So, <laughs> right. So, uh, so it's very different, and it's no secret. I'm I'm super obsessed with like ancient uh, megalithic sites and you know, pre-Christian cultures and prehistoric cultures, and so that area is just kind of littered w- with ancient stone, ancient stone stuff. You know, our grandpa used to ride ride around his bicycle to have a picnic on some megalithic tomb you know <laughs> and, and that's um, like the resting state right that that's where that culture that that's kind of like they don't think it's that weird they're just it's water for them they're, they're used it, to it. It, it yeah it's there it's always been there um so I, I just had a terrible case of jet lag when we were visiting the in-laws and in the corner of her childhood bedroom i had this a laptop and a and headphones and a and a keyboard and i just i'd played these simple piano patterns um, which I would have dismissed had I not been in a hallucinatory sleepless state (laughs) as, as too simple and uninteresting. Uh, But I I didn't sleep that whole week. And uh, the more I explored it, I started adding Mellotron and and, uh, string sounds and, you know, some French horn stuff and, Still didn't think I was creating anything. I was just, you know, with the, way, the same, same way other people might play video games or read a book when they can't sleep. You you're know? Like keeping yourself occupied. You're yeah. Like keeping yourself engaged. Well, and it's, it, right. it, there are elements to it that are almost like psychedelic or, or um, kraut rocky almost, right? And, and have a, like this sort of, it's like this idea, like this repeated patterns uh, evolving and uh, devolving. And changing that actually, when you when you say it was created in a <laughs> state of arrested sleep, it makes sense. Like it tracks for that. Like it sounds like that kind of mo- mood. Yeah, and I think I think it just 
then when I got home and I got into the studio here and started adding some analog synths and filtering everything through my stuff, it, it, it became pretty clear that I, I, you know, the, the, my other influences are leaking out. You know, I've been listening to things like Brian Eno and some minimalist composers, my, my whole adult life. It's just, it never had much of an, never had much of an expression. So I accidentally, accidentally made that record. And it wasn't until I ran it by my buddy, Randall Dunn, who, recorded my last solo re- record and I said, Hey man, I think I accidentally wrote a, <laughs> wrote an ambient neoclassical record and, uh, I don't know what to do with it. Yeah. I mean, that, don't know that's, where great, it fits. that's just, yeah. yeah, that's a wild sentence to have to say, right? Hey, uh, yeah, I, d- I don't know where it fits. Like it's not, it's not harvest, harvest man or harvestman harvest as man, you as pointed out. Um, <laughs> Cause I didn't feel right to put like fuzz guitars all over it or whatever. And, and so, um, but I did want to replace the digital piano with a real piano. I did want to, um, did you do like a soft piano kind of, yeah, that's where it started. It was just a a really kind of responsive, really natural sounding sampled upright piano. So I just, I wanted to get a real, real one in a decent studio and a real French horn player to replace my just kind of written parts and, and maybe some real cello to give some life to those, uh, Mellotron strings. And, and so he agreed, but he, he thought I shouldn't, uh, basically his opinion was that, you know, you didn't make an ambient record. You accidentally wrote your next solo record. You just need to sing on it still. And sweet. so I disagreed with him completely, <laughs> but by this yeah, but by this time it was like uh, it was winter break from work. I, I teach elementary school, and so we were visiting her parents in spring break. It was over the following months where I kind of fleshed it out here at home, and then by winter break she was back visiting with her parents, and and I was here alone with the dogs snowed in here in North Idaho and um, Coeur d'Alene, right? I mean, not to like give the stalkers uh, north, any yeah, north. Like- I'm north. I'm north of Coeur d'Alene. You'd have to go, drive through some areas where city slickers definitely don't want to be driving and i bring that up mostly because uh as a environmental thing you know it has way more in common with uh, western montana than than it does for like the lower part of idaho as far as like terrain oh yeah for sure yeah like like, southern country boise is like yeah that's like uh when you think think of boise or southern that's more like high desert Right, it's you know, totally, it's, 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 you're, you're talking like this is like straight up mountainous, like yeah, it, it's mountains, lakes, forests. It looks yeah. a little bit like like fjords in Norway or something. <laughs> I was just gonna say something along those lines. Yeah, fjords is also just a very fun word to say, so I'm, I'm for oh. that. Uh, so so sorry, I just I didn't again not trying to derail <laughs> from the story, but I think you the reason why I bring it up is because anyone's ever been to that area, like I feel like uh, this record is very much vibe wise. Kind of, kind of what I think about uh, when when I when I go through there, and you know, it's always it's always been on tour, like you know, going through going through that bit over into the uh, yeah. That's how that's how I I decided to look into this area. I remember I was doing the the dawn drive uh, in like February from Missoula to Seattle, no, wow. probably in the <laughs> early nineties, you know, and everybody else was asleep in the back of the van, and I and I come over that Fourth of July pass. You know, and dip down where you, the lake opens up. And it's like, hope oh, this is like where Santa Claus lives. Yeah, this it, is- it's beautiful, but like you don't expect it. And like, and if you're sleeping in the van, you might miss it entirely. You know, like it, yep. it, it's it's, and it's not. <laughs> it's That's something where you're building good roads. If you can sleep yeah. through the Rocky Mountains, 
You're building good roads. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but but it's <clears throat> where I was yeah, where I was going with that is that like you know, the record has a, a, a vibe that's very much it's rooted in modern culture but very much has that sort of uh mystic might be the wrong word but sort of sort of like feeling like you know okay something really off kilter may or may not be happening here at the same time but you have both those things coexisting in the way that god it's so overused but like in the way that twin peaks so effortlessly did uh you know yeah yeah and again like i i actually just talked about how like i hate when people use twin peaks to reference things as much as i love twin peaks but i mean <laughs> Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I moved to the woods and on purpose because I like that. I like that. Uh, I like that mysticism of the forest and the, you know, like having you know, growing up in the Bay Area, you don't even have to own a coat, you know. And I like, <laughs> I like get the uniform, you know, the hooded sweatshirt, right. and you're good. Exactly. <laughs> you you got to earn your leather jacket because it's freaking hot. Um, but. Uh, <clears throat> But here I, I get true, I have four true seasons, you know, and, and, and they, they dictate the way your day is going to go if you live out in the country. You know, if you get 18 inches of snow, you can't live your same life you would have the previous day. You've got to deal with it, you know. Yeah, go, go, going um, out to go take a walk is probably going to be a <laughs> slightly different scenario for you. Put on your snow pants. Um, but, yeah, so, I mean, part of that is it, you know. I mean, the uh, – and, and all the words are cheesy. You're right. You know, mystical, spiritual, whatever, yeah. but I'm into those connections with, with, with the earth and with the seasons. And, and, um, I, I like being out here. It's certainly, uh, you know, is kind of what I longed for my whole life living in the Bay, you know, some sort of deeper connection to natural landscapes. Yeah. And that's something where it, it you know, <laughs> They're they're very different, but it it does actually make sense because you know the bay is something where everyone's on top of each other and 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 you know with, connecting with each other whether they want to or not. And it tends you know because of that it ends up being like you know very much a melting pot of different cultures and different uh, different mindsets and viewpoints and things. But it's an anthill, you know. It, there's there's people everywhere you look. Like it's very very difficult to have like space. Whereas it, you know. You definitely went the other 180. <laughs> it's funny, man. I, you know, when I first, we, we live on 12 acres of forest and I thought when we first moved here, I thought, man, that's, that's really a lot. Like that's a lot of space and you just adapt. Now it just feels like a large yard. Right. And like I could do, I could do, yeah. I could do 120 or 1,200 to get some more space, yeah, you know? Yeah. 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 <laughs> Well, and that's so. How has that affected your writing process? I mean, do you. I, I talked about, you know, not being able to, not having to prepare differently when you're going out for a walk in the winter. But I mean, do you just like kind of roam the forest? <laughs> Is that like you know? I think there, there's an idea of what people have of everyone in neurosis Creep, creeping you know? around. Yeah, uh, like big wizard energy. Yeah. But you know. <laughs> But like, yeah. But seriously, is this where I should not? Is this where I should not mention that I I've built a stone circle in the halfway through the property? Yeah, <laughs> on brand. That's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I mean also, you, said, you said wizard, so I had to drop that one. But why wouldn't you? I you mean, got twelve acres, but you know, build a stone circle, build a, yeah, twenty of them. <laughs> exactly. I, I mean, the the one thing about the, I mean, obviously the vibe has gone from kind of longing to be in a natural environment to I, I live in it, 
you know, I just have to open the door or look out the window and I'm in it. Uh, but there's still always still that longing for connection and for deeper connection. And, it, and it's always not, it's not just nature. It's not like, it's more of our connection to our own minds, connection to ourselves. You know, it, this modern world seems to be pretty, pretty good at decepting ourselves and, and from disconnecting uh, uh, our mental health from ourselves, from each other, from our communities, from our families, you know? So uh, it, it's still always that longing. And, and, uh, and of course there's no, no lack of longing all of us probably have for some sort of uh, living in a society that makes some sort of sense. Yeah. Someone I know actually in Oakland, uh, a doctor, she's a, a therapist said it very well that, so much of our society now attempts to celebrate the individual without supporting the needs of the individual. And that's something that I kind of have chewed on a lot over the years. Uh, when, when I think about just how absolutely screwed up everything is and how screwed up everyone is to each other <clears throat> as like a resting state that, yeah, you know, it, it, it's almost fundamentally broken. So it seems like being in a position to at the same time withdraw a little bit and, and have this, 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 this beauty, this nature around you, but be grounded in such a way that you're still, you're still dealing with society. You're still dealing with the, uh, you know, the teaching year as well as, as uh, you know, being a creative entity, it almost seems like it m might be easier in some ways to balance, but kind of give you just an idea of like the absurdity of, of the contrast as well. Yeah, for sure. I mean, w what I have here is more room to breathe because I still have, I mean, the, you know, the Neurot Recordings office is right on the other side of that wall. I'm out here in my studio in the barn. This is where I get to spend the least amount of time because, uh, you know, creativity time ends up being last on the priority list most of the time. Um, yeah, you know, day to day, the day job and being a husband and a father and running a business and you know, it, it still occupies the majority of my time. Um, you barely have time to build any stone circles. I mean, geez. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. There's I'll always, stop. I'll there's stop. always time. There's always time to build a stone circle. You make time for stone circles. Yes. That's right. Yeah. Some <laughs> things are worth it. Walking dogs and building stone circles. So, um, um, so I guess it's more, it just kind of prioritizes it. And I, and I can, you know, as opposed to like, I, man, I need to make some time to get out of town. You never find time to get out yeah, of town. Yeah, yeah. You know, so, so if my 11 mile drive to work is moseying around a country road around, uh, around some forested mountains and, and, you know, my walk in the dogs isn't around a couple city blocks. It's out through our 12 acres, you know, and there's critters all over the place and that's fun. And, that's your rush hour. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, turkey, tur turkeys, turkeys blocking the road is like rush hour. Um, so yeah, it, but I guess so. Back to your, I guess your question that started all this nonsense was the writing process. Yeah. Um. Again, this one, this one was accidental. So. Yeah. Um. And I and when now looking back in hindsight, looking back to my entire like solo output. 
it's all been accidental for the most part, you know, is, as far as like this process of learning to get out of my own way and not talk myself out of things for stupid reasons and to let them happen naturally and organically. I mean, of course there's a willpower there to push things forward and make things move. And I'm not obviously not uh, shy about sharing it with other people. Um, yeah, but, but yeah, I had, I had to yeah. talk myself into that one, you know, like, yeah. okay, shit. I just made a beautiful record, which pulled out this different thing out of my voice. Yeah. It's really out of my comfort zone. And then, you know, the book of poetry out of the comfort zone. But yeah, I mean, it even inspired each other. Like it was through writing that. So that one week where I was on a winter break uh, investigating Randall Dunn's challenge that I should sing on this or not, I thought it didn't need my, uh, harsh croak kind of messing up this beautiful music. And, um, like the vocals but I thought, would, would almost take away from it. You're thinking, I thought so, yeah. you know? And so I woke up every morning on that winter break with my cup of coffee and my notebook and my pen. And I just improvised and tore through journals of old, old poems that I've only written for myself until now. And, um, and by the end of that week, I called Randall back and told him he was right to book time. You know, I, I've got the vocals figured out, but in that process, going back to the book too, I, I, I felt so guilty stealing these two lines out of this poem, which even though I've never published any poems, so there, there was no outlet for it, but I thought the poem was perfect. Mm, like and, as, and as I, that, that format, as that thing, just as that thing. Gotcha. And so stealing the two lines out of it, like ruined it. <laughs> and, but I needed, I needed him. I needed him for the lyrics. And I thought, man, I've been doing this my whole life. Maybe I should challenge myself to, as long as I'm challenging myself to go out of the box, maybe I should write some poems with the intent of not butchering them for lyrics for a change and letting them live their own poetic life and wrote them all in a pretty short period of time. And, uh, I realized as they were done and I had the 22 of them, plus the one I stole the lines from, I kept it in there. Uh, thinking it could it could live both lives that you know well there's 23 of them I like that number that's good it's a nice number uh, yep wizardy um, it's very wizardy <laughs> I don't know why I don't know yeah I'm sure somebody I'm sure somebody can explain it you know what dude someone's gonna message me about it I guarantee you yeah so share it um and none of them had titles so they felt like a body of work. Mm-hmm. They felt that they had a different, uh, uh, like you said, there's a similar voice there that yeah. to my lyrics, but um, the way they own the page is different. Cause with, with lyrics, it sits in a song. It's got to, yes, 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 it's, it's got to have a cadence, you know, you got to go, man, do I want to hang on a, on a, a or a, a or a E, you know, what vowel sound do I want to hang on while I'm screaming or, or singing right here. And uh, poetry doesn't have any of that backdrop to help it out. It has to just own that spot on the paper and say everything it wants to say with words and and no background music. And it's naked. It's unadorned. You know, it's 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 naked that way. And it's something where it can be an opportunity because there's certain words that can only sing when there's no music. And it's something well said. that. You know, and that isn't to take away from awesome lyrics that happen when, um, when when there's other things going on. But when you're dealing with something, especially uh, with neurosis, where it's so which where it's so theatrical, and there's there's such um, there, there, there there's a lot of layers to it, right? People aren't always going to be focused on every part, and that's fine. That's intentional. It's one of the things I've always respected about you guys is that with the layeredness of it, 
everything complements each other, even when they're in opposition. But by the same token, there's something to be said for a beautiful phrase is a beautiful phrase. And it, it's interesting that like when I, when I heard that you did it, I was like, oh, cool. That makes sense. Like I could see it. You know what I mean? Where there's some... <laughs> I almost named a name, and I decided that'd be a better idea. If, Good catch. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I was gonna say if someone you know that I didn't feel that way about did that, I'd be like, oh, they are. Hmm, okay, that's an interesting choice. <laughs> but for you, it makes sense because there is such a uh, like it almost feels like so much of it is are, are are tales untold from some you know not even like arcane times necessarily, but just. Uh, unspoken part of the world and to just have them just be there and and present is pretty cool and it works and it's nice to have that without the context of the music and i say that as someone that has a little i i I have definitely been openly disdainful about uh certain poetry and prose things in the past uh, to be sure even though i respect the. i totally understand and my there's certain punk rock part of myself has said very nasty things to myself about uh, yeah. the book of poetry, you know? So <laughs> I get it. Man. I mean, it works. That I mean, I, th- I guess that's the important thing. It's like it works or it doesn't, right? Like there's 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 it, certain folks that can pull it off and certain folks who are like, oh my God, no, you know? And that's, uh, you know, it, it, it works and it doesn't seem shoehorned in and it seems like a legitimate contribution to that particular art form rather than just like, hey... Here's like the rock dude that did the thing, and here's the thing. Yeah, and that that that's one of those horrible fears. Um, yeah, you always have it in the back of your mind of like you don't you don't want yeah. to be that guy. Yeah, he, yeah, metal guy writes poetry book. You know, like uh, like just, just <laughs> yeah, vomit. Um, Un- unre- unrequested creative surplus. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know, part of it was like a having to like like really looking at it, trying to look at it objectively and and thinking, does the world need this out there? I don't know. I mean, I but but again, that that part of me, that punk rock asshole that calls bullshit on everything, you know, the skeptic can say the same thing about anything I've ever yeah. been a part of. You, you, I can, you can I can tear it all apart. You can relativize <laughs> that away immediately about about anything and and I think it's but that that is interesting because I think a lot of folks that you know look at your career and and look up to you in your creative works would maybe not realize that you still have those feelings even when you've got like this great sweeping body of work behind you and in some cases maybe even more so because you start thinking about like well is it better or worse than or you start playing those weird stupid games with yourself that uh, when you mentioned getting out of your head and getting out of your own way with this record, you almost sometimes need those resets to realize how much of that doesn't matter at all. For sure. Yeah. Thanks you for know, it, 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 <laughs> <laughs> Again, that's part of that, like learning to get out of my, get out of my own way. Like if I'm not going to own the fact that I, I have these urges to make beautiful music and, and poetry at, at age 50, then when am I going to, ever own it and and do you compromise a part of your soul if you don't kind of uh if you don't honor that uh muse for lack of better word you know that kind of we i I don't know where the hell all this music and stuff comes from or why i feel driven to make it but if you don't honor that by shutting it down then you're like those guys who think they have to give up being in a band because they had to get a job or got married or whatever like i guess it's over 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. And I got married, and so the band broke up. Yeah, you know, oh like God, don't even get me started on that. We'll be here all night. But I mean, <laughs> yeah, that's that's something where, and again, I, I wanna I wanna give honor to the to the art and and, and talk more about how, how the, the record itself. But I was talking to a mutual friend of ours, uh, Mike Moraski, about the love, uh, Mike. Good old Mike, man. And I listened to your podcast with uh, with Mike being a oh, big nice. Steel Pool fan. Yeah. yeah. As am I. I think it was... Uh, uh, I think it was, when Billy was on, I mentioned the uh, the Milk Cult song that that y'all did, um, which is complete... With nonsense words. Speaking yeah, yeah, of speaking with, lyrics. Exactly. Yeah, yeah complete yeah, yeah, nonsense. <laughs> and I, I got at least one angry email, but why did you talk so much about that Milk Cult record? It was like... Because it's my show, fucker. Do whatever you want. But, uh, That's right. Oh yeah, the I was really blown away in a in a way that I'm often not blown away by with the uh, I think it was PRI that just uh, y- you talk to the, the the public radio outlet very frankly about teaching and how that it doesn't diminish you as an artist that you have uh, th- this day job. In fact, like you look at it as like a part of the greater whole. I thought the whole mindset of it is something that I think a lot of artists feel ashamed to talk about that. And I, I don't know why. And I, th- I thought it was a very unique perspective. And I, I wonder if you could maybe recap your, your, yeah, your path yeah, into yeah. teaching and, and why that was the thing and how you feel about that in regards to everything. For sure. I mean, my, my reaction, though, just like my gut level reaction before I go back in history is is just where the hell does anybody think that you can go make weird ass art and make that and make that your living? Right. You know, like, don't you don't you have to? I mean, uh, and are don't, don't you have to have a. Yeah. Don't, <laughs> don't you have to go? I mean, you have to go earn your earn your ability to have time to go make some music or some art or, you know, save up your money to go lose it on tour. Yeah. Uh, is, is how it is for most people. I mean, and that's right. where we came up. I mean, saving up all year to go on tour and, and lose it, you know? Yeah. Where, where, um, where you're, you're, you're living, you're putting all this work in so that you can put everything that you have into the stuff that means so much to you and right. not expect <laughs> Justifiably, not expect to get much back out of it uh, monetarily, uh, but get, get right. that enjoyment in another way. Especially when you're making, you know, freaky, gnarly, user unfriendly, <laughs> psychedelic punk rock. You know, right, I mean, right. it's uh, the, the the expectation that uh, art and commerce work that way is is a strange one to begin with. I mean, have you've had have you had Steve Albini on the show many times? Yeah, and yeah, okay, so. So he talks really eloquently about about that exact thing, very logically. You know, he's got the more eloquence and brain power than I have to speak to uh, um, the kind of underground music and commerce. Uh, but I think his finger is right on the pulse. You know, I think it's the generation after ours that started to feel after like bands like us actually could play real clubs for a change. You know, then people started to get a little spoiled. And, oh, uh, the, yeah, this totally, you know, and then you see these greenhorns coming up thinking that the world owes them a living cause they make some weird ass music. And it's like, well, world doesn't owe you anything, you know, go earn it. So, yeah, I mean, we, we and 
you know, we, we came up in that whole world and there was a moment in the nineties where we were touring so much that it was making the day, like it was making the jobs we were coming home to a lot crappier. Uh, you know, you're looking for part-time work between tours kind right. of thing. Right. Right. That, that's the, uh, I, I wish I could take credit over credit for it, but that's the at sea mentality. You, you go out to sea, <laughs> right? And right. You, yeah. You come back and you don't quite know how to, how to work it on land and then, but don't worry, you're going out to sea soon anyway. So it doesn't matter. Right. Right. So, so I think there was one point at which, uh, in 99 and we, we'd kind of like decided at one point we were just going to go for it and see if we could make it work and, uh, realized pretty quickly that what we were really doing was digging debt <laughs> and, uh, and, and making compromises, which weren't any big compromises yet but you could see where people talk themselves into. Uh, I mean, you always hear about, Oh, the label made you compromise. I'm convinced that there's very, especially in our world, there's nobody trying to convince you to change your art. It's your own screwed up mind telling you, Oh, I bet we could make it if we just sounded a little bit more like Radiohead. Yeah. You know, or or like whatever those weird voices are, you know, like, um, and so we, we just realized that for five families and, you know, uh, many of us have kids and it just wasn't sustainable to go out there. So that if we were going to be able to sustain this art for the long haul, that we probably should turn the other direction and find a balance, you know, find careers that we could hang on to, maybe even enjoy. Uh, <laughs> yeah, dare to and, dream, right? <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, I lucked out. So, um, I mean, cause there's no find more a balance. job. I mean, if, as far as I'm concerned, like, Gosh, more so in these days that, I mean, like, like teaching, like, please, it's like, can we get more awesome people teaching? That would be awesome. You know, like people coming from different backgrounds that don't have this like same cookie cutter block mentality that with the same shared experience, like, no, let's get all kinds of different people. And why not people from punk rock? Why not? Totally. Yeah, I agree, man. I agree. And then that's, I kind of fell into it by, I mean, I had a college degree just from earlier in life. Cause I came from a family where that's what you did. You went, to, I just, I got whatever, de- I got a degree in sociology, which I'm pretty sure you can't do anything with, but it was the, <laughs> except for teach sociology. Probably. It, it was the, it was the one in which I could I combine punk rock with. Yeah. Punk yeah. rock with the easiest. Yeah. <laughs> take weird psychology. We, I could take a psychology course. I could take a recording class. I could, yeah. What, you know, Whatever. So, um, in California at that time, when we decided to, uh, uh, to come home and and try to find a better balance, um, I thought, man, I, if life was different, maybe I'd work with kids, you know, think, thinking of some sort of crazy outdoor school or, and, you know, um, this is like what you would be telling yourself. Like if, like when you were like thinking of the, what if I wasn't right right now? Yeah. Right. And I, I said it out loud to somebody and they're like, Hey, you know, Eastside San Jose, desperate for teachers, uh, since they passed the 20 to one law K through three, if you're willing to teach lower elementary and, uh, you have a college degree in anything, you'll be in a classroom tomorrow. Yeah. Cause they and you take your people like, yeah. And you right? take, yeah. take your teaching to yeah, take your teaching classes at night for a couple of years and get your teaching credential. Uh, I like learning that way better. Anyway, I couldn't imagine like having to go student teach under some, yeah, that's crusty a, old, crusty old, you know, that's teacher a punk rock like, way. You just do it. You just start playing shows, <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> exactly. Just you just jump in front of the classroom with twenty seven year olds staring at you and go, oh, yeah, 
I just jumped out of a tour bus. I hope. Yeah. yeah I actually it, had to turn myself like, in for dropping an F bomb the first year I was oh, teaching. Oh man. Well, I'm sure they haven't heard anything. Yeah, they got over it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to make a Gilman joke by the, by the way, but about the being in front of seven, seven year olds staring at you, but, uh, the time passed. So I'll make a meta reference to it, but yeah, it's, but it's something where I, I, and I, you know, very briefly myself, I, I, I didn't teach, but I worked in education in a support role. And I always found it so interesting to talk to teachers and talk about their shared experiences. And, and one thing that all the different teachers from different backgrounds would say is like, yeah, as long as you know who you are and are comfortable with it, like the kids will generally be cool. But if you don't, they'll eat you alive. <laughs> They definitely, I mean, all the bullshit armor that we put on as adults to go walk out in the world, you know, whether it's that like ego shit or the, even the armor of humor, you know, whatever we feel we need to put on to be able to live out there in the, in the world and and put up our pretense, they see right through it in a a heartbeat, like doesn't even exist. They have like x-ray goggles, (laughs) you know, and and they don't then they don't wear it and or a few do and those few that do are the ones you really need to reach because they're usually wearing it for an unfortunate reason yeah there's something going on at yeah. home or yeah right so yeah i mean uh, and i when i was so when i was contemplating it somebody made mentioned a fact that turned out to um not be totally true but i'm i'm still sure there is a correlation somebody said something that when they started to privatize prisons uh, that there were these data collection agencies and when one piece of data that they used to figure out how many empty prison cells they need in the next decade or how many kids aren't reading at grade level by grade three. Wow. And, uh, and I thought, well, shit, I can teach kids to read, you know? Exactly. You're like, if I've hung out in squats and, uh, like i can teach kids to read yeah and so if that if that keeps one if that keeps one kid you know my like in my entire teaching career i've just been 20 years in now if if that keeps one kid out of some sort of trouble whether it's prison or or anything else if i can give any sort of direction or inspiration anywhere if if some kid picks up a guitar instead of a uh freaking you know crack pipe or whatever that you know anything down the road or a kid gets interested in education and and maybe doesn't come from a family that is but lifts themselves up out of a multi-generational situation uh anything like that then it'll feel like uh, you know all of it was worth it and it feels um when some people have a hard time like you're saying reconciling this like heavy extreme punk rock heavy music thing with elementary school teacher. And it's like, well, now that I'm in it, it's totally different. Like you look at people on stage or whatever, like superheroes or blah, 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 but that's just our friends we grew up with. That's what everybody did. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Totally. Yeah. yeah, I mean, these kindergarten teachers, they're the superheroes because they're, they're, you know, dealing with the really little ones. That's a whole other deal, but it, it just all, I don't know. It's all my life. So it, it, it just, it feels like I'm lucky. I get to, um, not that there isn't BS involved. It is public education and there are, you know, <laughs> right. Yeah. There's, there are challenges. Uh, what will, the next yeah, will put you, it, right? You've got politicians at the top of that chain. Yeah, so there um, you go. there's your problem. <laughs> yeah. So, but, um, 
I'm lucky because every whether and even if I'm complaining about running a punk rock record label because I spend all my time in there not listening to records but paying bills, <laughs> you know, uh, right? It's still I I, I asked for ev- I asked for every one of these things. I asked for an inspired an inspired music. I asked for to be a supporter of it, whether making fanzines or record labels or whatever, you know, like that's just always what I wanted to do. And then my, and my, my day job is also inspirational. I mean, I get the whole human experience in these nice little 28, nine year old capsules, you know, to be constantly inspired by. Yeah. And as far as, you know, living a well-rounded life and and having lots of different things. It seems like that's uh, not bad, right? It seems like you could do a lot worse. <laughs> yeah, I I I definitely I, I struck a balance for myself that works well. I I do want to talk a little bit about the label. I think that one of the things that is very admirable for uh, the neurosis world is how steeped in DIY you guys are, coming from the from the culture of of, you know, fanzines and like indie labels and things along those lines that it wasn't like you were waiting around to be discovered again, talking about like, you know, those, those nineties gold rush days where everyone was <laughs> waiting for that to happen, but you make it happen. You, you put the energy and effort into it and you find things that are worth putting on the line for. And it's something where I didn't quite understand as, as a younger man, I, I didn't quite understand like all that entailed and the level of commitment that it is, but how worthwhile it was. And then like, you know, the older, the older I got, and the more I saw you kind of expand the circle to include, uh, you know, these other amazing artists and, and kind of make this umbrella of extended family. It's something that just struck me as very, like one of the, one of the things that works within this thing that we do and how I wish more people did it, but oh, I understand why they don't because it's a whole hell of a lot of work and a lot of effort and a lot of heartbreak and a financial disaster. And, and, but and, yeah, I was gonna say it and a complete money hole half the time. Yeah, if you're lucky. But I well, I don't own a boat or four wheelers or snowmobiles or any of that, so I might as well you know dump it in a punk rock record label. Yeah. So I mean, where where did that? Where did the 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 will to do that uh, come from? Like, what, what, what drove that? Uh, it was multifaceted. Um, part of it, I, I, even from before I joined Neurosis, I, I was an ad, avid tape trader. I loved the kind of community of uh, discovering underground music. I, you know, I would get my maximum rock and roll and flip side and I'd mail, I'd mail order stuff and I'd be waiting, you know, four months for Pusshead to send my record. Uh, or, or, or that, you know, obscure Scandinavian hardcore album that you'd never yeah. find at a you just local like the shop. Band name. Like, oh, that looks, all- I bet that's awesome. And you- <laughs> yeah, I can't say it, but it's got a lot of consonants. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, the other, I don't think there's a vowel in that. <laughs> How do you even pronounce that? Oh, well, whatever. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, things like even MDC early on with like the Peace yeah, yeah. Comp, you know, and they brought together like all these bands from all over the world, trippy bands, like what a discovery thing that was. And, and the Maximum Rock and Roll Radio Show. So yeah, I mean, I did a fanzine when I was a teenager, friends and I, and and I wanted to do a record label, but then I kind of put that on hold when I, after I joined Neurosis and we kind of had a plan and, and uh, we're lucky enough to be supported by, uh, you know, 
Alchemy Records and Lookout, then Alternative Tentacles, and then um, we moved to Relapse. And um, so we had a lot of positive experiences. And luckily, we didn't get, uh, not that we didn't flirt with a couple of people in those 90s gold rush days, but it, luckily, it, nothing ever worked out. I think we were we were too weird for anyone to yeah, deal with. I was going to say, it would have, it would have, that would have been an interesting path to see, but I almost... I almost don't really see how you could do it, but then I say that, and then Melvin's got to to do it, and like they made Stag as one of their records, you know, which is one of the most bizarre records of that decade, in a good way, for sure. So yeah, like, and they're they're one of the few people that did it gracefully, you know, because they're so out of the box that it you know it didn't seem to affect them. Yeah, I mean, what are they gonna do? Come back to him and say, you know, we need you to write some hits, you know. What would that even like? But but then again, when I think about like, and it's because I, I hate the idea the 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 sort of um, the austerity complex that comes from from people that come from DIY, meaning that like, oh, only things that are small can be good. And it's like no, it's not good because it's small. It's good because it was allowed to come up in in a uh, environment that was fostered by creativity, and was allowed to flourish and develop. And I, I think it's interesting that there is a lot of different paths for like bands that like develop a legacy. And it kind of almost for neurosis, it almost seemed to happen kind of like later in like late, a late career germination in a way that doesn't really happen with a lot of bands. And I think that's a really interesting story. Yeah. Well, I think we never felt like we belonged anywhere. Really, I mean, you look know, at, I mean, I mean, you think people think of look at now? They, they, and I, I, I know it wasn't like that then, but it was sort of like people like associate with just like pop punk, basically. Right, yeah, Green Day and Op Ivy, right? Yeah. And then, and <laughs> then Neurosis, what? And yeah, what? that, that You guys played right. shows together? No way. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, yeah. So it was really just kind. Of, I guess it was. Uh, even though we felt that we had good experiences with folks being that kind of people that never felt like we belonged anywhere, it seemed to make sense to go back to that original idea of let's create a home for ourselves right. for the long haul where we always know that we can do, put out our own records and, and, you know, we'll, uh, uh kind of that old, old world value or, or like you see now more like the farm to table. Right. I mean, you, yeah, yeah. you buy, you buy the art right from the, from the artist. You, you know, you buy the furniture from the furniture maker, you buy the record from the, get your shoes from the, from the cobbler. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so it, it just seemed to make sense with where we were going. And then quickly it was like, Oh, and all our weird side project ideas we can do as well. And then that quickly branched out to, and we can offer that same opportunity that we were given by other folks to, like give our kind of captive audience, like these things that we like, you know, and also framing that also frames ourselves like that, that kind of frames our peers as well, more than being on another record label where someone else is framing who your peers are, you know I mean? Right. It, like goes back to that, not belonging, you know, like we, once, once we got keyboards and samplers and our guitars got heavier, the hardcore punks were like, Oh, what are you faith? No more. What's this keyboard stuff? You know, so we were like heavy with keyboards and samplers, but we weren't industrial enough to be like old first generation throbbing gristle type stuff. And we weren't, didn't really fit in with the skinny puppy second wave people. Like we were too Sabbathy for those folks or whatever. And, 
And I remember Tim Yohannan from uh, Maximum Rock and Roll wouldn't let us advertise when we were on Alternative Tentacles in Maximum Rock and Roll because we were progressive rock. He said, we, we might have... <laughs> He said, we might yeah, as well like be gentle like, yes. Giants? Yeah. No, like, yes. I think he actually said, yes. <laughs> of course he did. Yeah. So, uh, so we're like, okay, well, I mean, but alternative tentacles at that time felt great because they had VHK from Hungary. They had Zenigava from Japan. They had Alice, no, no, Alice no. Donut. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. All that. It was a great. So that talk about breaking down boundaries that was great that felt like okay the arty more arty angle towards things the weirdos in the corner we definitely right feel that and then uh the core factor went to, it was it, it was good you know it was interesting and it was and it was good interesting and good yeah and then when we decided to go to relapse it was it was this weird time where uh even though we still consider ourselves punks in in very many ways and diy uh, it, to us that was always open mind have an open-minded, do what you want, just do it with passion and screw everybody. But it yeah. turned out punk actually had a lot really rules and that it was about <laughs> <laughs> super narrow. And at that yeah. time, metal was actually opening its mind. And then next thing you know, metalheads are listening to Mertzbau and Japanese noise and all this stuff. And you're like, what is going on over here? Like, I still don't Which is a total flip. And it's, it's almost impossible yeah. to explain to, uh, uh, it's almost impossible to explain to kids these days in the scene. Yeah, kids these days will never know how it was. <laughs> but yeah, the, the metal scene was not like that we'll just go ahead and say for for, for right. a long time and and, and it's it, it, it's, it went it's from those crappy like pay to play shows to you know like or just like with, with the thrash kind of crossover thing yeah. didn't really economically you know those labels were never punk you know it was never it was more like still mimicking big biz in a lot of ways and so so that was this weird thing where this kind of you know and then these younger artists like Aaron Turner and Isis and Hydra head and all that, you know, started kind of like taking this heavy thing uh, and calling it thinking's man metal or whatever they were doing back <laughs> right, then. Yeah, and yeah, like, yeah. and, uh, and so you had this whole other branch of stuff, but, it, but ultimately we would just, it made, it was clear. We just needed our own home so that we didn't have to define any of that crap or live in any of those um, uh, umbrellas except our own. To build your own house rather than uh, rent something. Right. Although you, when you have to, yeah. But when you have to do roof repair, sometimes you... <laughs> right, right. But then when the possums are getting into the shed, <laughs> it's your problem. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Damn possums. But no, but it, it, it's interesting that, um, you know, it, it was something where it, it came out, when the rock came out, it was, it was like there was a defined aesthetic, even if it, it, there wasn't a, uh, a musical aesthetic. You know, just, again, just... Saying that there's a place that like you know, you could have like a Zinigiva and um you know like Neurosis and uh Tad's band, you know, um Brothers of the Yeah, Brothers of the Sun Club, yeah. Tarantel. Yeah, Tarant exactly. Yeah. Uh, Amber Asylum. You know, bands that like right. you know, we're we're just like, oh no, I can't explain why, but this 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 makes sense. But in a unified aesthetic in the way that uh, before it became kind of like the record label as the oh that probably sounds like this that's probably a, a this band you know yeah no i hate around. that yeah that and i like there's festivals like that shows like that like the world gets more pigeonholy even though it seemed like it should be more open-minded with how much information is out there but i still like those days where where you'd have a band that was like the maybe the crossover band maybe the kind of 77 kind of 
band and yeah. the rockabilly tinge band, the performance artist weirdo. And, and, and uh, everybody's hanging out and like watching each other play. And right. You know, and it's, I like record thing. labels like that. Yeah. Touch and go discord. Yeah. I mean, you know, um, uh, you could say some of those have kind of a sound, I guess, but I don't know. I never heard it that way. You know, I heard there's people looking for, again, like that alternative tentacles thing is all, all over the map. You're just looking for something that's honest and intense and yeah. compelling for some reason. I mean, and, and coming at it from the perspective of being a fan too, like I appreciated the fact that, you know, even if I missed those, those early Gilman shows or whatever, just like, you're know, like, Oh no, like this is just one of the things I loved about the Bay area is like, Oh, this is the, the type of place where you can have something where you have all these different kind of bands come together. And then like, you know, the fact that you did the, when you did the Narot Fest as a for instance, I thought that was such a cool and natural expansion of, of the uh, modus operandi of, of the label of being like, you know, Hey, like we, here's all, here's our, all our little family. And like, we're, we're all here doing our thing and it doesn't all sound exactly like each other. Like, you know, it's not Ozfest, but, uh, <laughs> Oh, I didn't even think about, Oh, <laughs> I didn't even think about Ozfest. Jesus. <laughs> nice segue. Yeah. <laughs> Which I do want to talk about, but I do want to talk about like Narotfest. Well, that's okay. <laughs> I think, yeah. I, I think Narotfest is like, um, and there's other examples of it, you know, things like the Pier of Barbecue and, uh, you know, all tomorrow's parties and stuff like that. But it was sort of like, hey, we're going to make something cool. We're not looking towards like, hey, who can we get that would like pack this place? It was like, let's get our audience into a place where they can experience some cool stuff that they know and some cool stuff that they don't know. And like, let's just have yep. a good time together. And I guess it says a lot to our society that that's just a crazy idea that doesn't happen that often. Cause everyone's constantly, you know, monetizing everything, dollar signs in their eyes about every, every piece of it. Uh, that it was just love of the game from an outsider's perspective. And I, I, I thought that was just wonderful. And I went to, uh, was it the one the Great American Music Hall? There's one of the DNA Lounge. Like I, I went. To yeah, Holland. those were both of them. Yeah, and, and then it, we did a smaller version in Holland a few years after. But yeah, we did realize that yeah, event 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 booking was not for us <laughs> in the long run. It's, well, and then it the, is a super pain in the ass. And that was before Noel got like he got detained and like you know the oh. yeah there, there was a whole there was a whole thing going on. But I will I'll never forget that that. The shellac said the Great American Music Hall one. There was there was a there was a uh, quiet passage like at that really really quiet like su- like super chimey thing and like some dude just goes release the kraken at the top of his lungs and it's one of the, like it was amazing like even even Albini like like you know <laughs> busted busted up laughing because how can you not first of all what a random ass thing to yell. But, That's a very random thing. <laughs> but I just appreciated that, like, because you know, I was, I was, because I was sort of like, oh wow, almost from the like the sociological aspect of like, what's going to happen when you know these bespectacled, cardigan wearing shellac fans like meet up with like you know the road warrior, <laughs> neurosis fans. <laughs> you know, is it going to be cool? And you know, of course, it was fine. But like, uh, yeah, it, 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 it was a it was a unique moment. Yeah, and, and, and we was, all shop at the same record stores. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. And 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 it's and it's was something where, I, I mean, I know for me it was a very powerful moment just because I was like, wow, it's awesome that everyone is here doing the same thing, and like having a good time of it, and like there's something being created here, and I think that's really beautiful. So I guess there's not a point there. I'm just telling a story about a thing I went to that you guys threw, but it was good. 
I, so let me chime in with a Steve Albini quote that I remember him saying on the microphone one night at, at that one at the Great American is he was, uh, <laughs> I think we switched off one night they opened for us and yep. one night we opened for them. On the one that we opened for them, he came out and he said, well, you know, he thanked Neurosis for having them and everything. And I'm just afraid that after Neurosis, we're going to sound like the knack. <laughs> yeah, I remember that very well. It was amazing. <laughs> now, now I didn't think about it until I'm like, actually, some you got moments that do sound a little bit like the knack now that you mention it. I guess I like the knack. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I mean, it, it's, you know, there are the, what a lot of people refer to as, as the Sons of Neurosis bands. Uh, do you do you hear that in, in other bands? Do you hear the influence of what you guys have done, or does it just sound like a you know a similar belief? I, I try not to, you know, like I, I like people. It's more like what people say, you know, and uh, I don't know that that's like weird territory to go down to through mentally. I think yeah. you know, like you don't want to. Um, we know what our influences are. We know what riffs we've stolen. You know, <laughs> right. so I, yeah, you know, just move changed. a half, yeah, move it, yeah, <laughs> tiny thing. I mean, I've probably written the song Black Sabbath over about right. five or six times by hey, this at point. At least you rewrote it instead of just, well, never mind. <laughs> yeah, not even written, no, not even really. No, but I mean, just played, just played it not as well. Um, so I guess I guess you, you hear that and you guess you have to be honored that you influence somebody sure. to want to do stuff because I I know I have those heroes you know those people I saw doing it who made me want to pick up a guitar and 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 do it so if we inspired anybody to start a band or whatever then awesome well and it, you know it reminds me of a lot of my favorite bands too where it's like if you think like oh they sound like so and so it's like well what era. Are you talking about exactly, you know, cause it's like, okay, it sounds like neurosis. Well, does it sound like, you know, souls at zero or does it sound like, yeah. It sounds like killing joke. Yeah. What, what does that, what does that mean? Yeah. <laughs> That's a, can you be a little more specific? What record, <laughs> what song, <laughs> but you know, you, you guys have a, you have a well-deserved rep for just following your own path and following your own, uh, your, your own North star and things. But it is, you know, some people don't realize, like, oh, yeah, that, that band kind of started as a hardcore band, you know, like a weird hardcore band, basically, and just got weirder and weirder as time went on. And, uh, you know, how much of that was, was just the natural growth pattern and how much of it was like, hey, let's try something different. And when I, when I say that, I'm, I'm, and this is going to be a compound one. I think about in terms of like when you guys made like the accompaniment records where you had like, you know, the grace and times of grace and things like that, like just not even building the worlds, but building the parallel worlds that go along with the worlds. Like, man, that's a big swing. And so is it something where it's as much trying to challenge yourself as it is the listener? Uh, when was there overarching patterns for it? And how much of it is a reaction to the world? Hmm. I'd say the earliest stuff's probably the most reactionary, you know? I mean, I joined after the first record. So the first record came out, um, band started 85. I think that finally came out on 87. I remember buying it. I had the demo already from tape trading and I would, I saw the band around quite a bit. They were one of my favorite local bands for sure. 
you know, I was, I was big into like subhumans and discharge. And so yeah. you had these two bands from the Bay, you had Neurosis and Christ on Parade that kind of reminded you of those UK bands a little bit. Like that. I've thought about Christ on Parade in a long time, but that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and so, you know, th- those were my two favorite local bands, you know, as, um, and, um, but you know, you, shit, that's just young guys who don't know how to play anything else, you know, making hardcore, you know, and, and there was a, there was a hint of something trippier in there, you know? And then I joined at the tail end of the writing process for the second record. And to me, when I hear back, uh, when I hear it back, it just sounds like growing pains. Like we knew we had somewhere to go, but had no clue how to get there. The lookout album, yeah, yeah. you know, and, um, didn't know shit about recording. So guitars were all thin and, but we knew we wanted to be this more existential beast. We wanted to be kind of the, the soundtrack to, uh, everything the soundtrack to the end times to creation to the existential nature of being human you know like all of it like how do you sound like all of it It, you've got to get bigger you know you got so so yeah so that i mean we made conscious efforts to make sure we were going to have heavier guitar tones and we needed more sounds like honestly the biggest mind expanding moment for us was Knowing, knowing that we needed to get keyboards, but not just keyboards, but sampler. Yeah. Because if when you heard Public Enemy, oh yeah, that dude. sound that sounded like riots in the street. Like, how do we yeah. sound like? How do we sound like our version of what what they're? How do we sound like shit happening? Like, like the stuff you only heard on the beginnings of albums, like like the like the, an atomic bomb at the beginning of a Discharge album, or the crazy noise at the yeah, beginning of the Venom. <laughs> yeah, you know, like how how do you just sound like? that uh, like uh, even to grab a discharge how do you sound like the enormous door slamming in the depths of hell you know right, like right, right, yeah how, how do you get that with, feeling across where do you get that sound yeah yeah by sampling that door in hell and, and well, first you playing go down it to back hell, then you find it yeah door. first you go to hell with your portable recorder and you <laughs> tape it and you load it into your 16-bit sampler but um so that that kind of that kind of exploded the world for us. And then once we realized anything, any sound you could imagine or find could be an instrument, then we were on our way. And that the music got more complex, the writing got more complex. We were pulling more in, more influences of of those like throbbing gristle, joy division, like the the things that we hinted at, but but never could quite get there. And we got I don't know, we didn't become better musicians like as far as like chops everyone else would have, but we got more familiar with our instruments. I think and yeah, developed relationships with them. I, I, for me, I think Souls of Zero is the first one that kind of seemed like a mission statement. That's where we first started to sound like ourselves. I think yeah. it, I can still hear too much cerebral turn right. turning on that record. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, but we were there. We found the sound. But we then the enemy of the sun. We learned. Oh, it's not just that sound. We've also got to like actually abandon every, uh, abandon consciousness and recklessly recklessly let this shit flow through us yeah and uh and that yeah yeah and then you know we just traversed every rabbit hole that presented itself which was you know the suffocating intensity of through silver and blood the kind of learning to find room to breathe and times of grace and then yeah experimenting like like we had more experimental ideas we talked about than we ever realized like you know wanting, wanting to make films and books and well, there's a cinematic uh, element to a lot of what, what you guys did. So, I mean, the film thing absolutely makes sense. I mean, when you start doing yeah. projections and stuff, I was like, well, yeah, of course they are. 
of course. Yeah. Why wouldn't they? Yeah. So it it made sense to do those sonic explorations, you know, like, like the, the companion piece and the, uh, you know, well, so, so talk, talk about grace specifically. Like, I mean, cause that, that is a note. That's another big swing. You're like, okay. So you're where people like, what are you doing? So so you're like, there's a, it's another record and you play it at the same, same time. Like what, what are you, what are you you doing? Yeah, we weren't, we, we weren't the first ones to do that. The flaming lips, Definitely paved the way for that one, oh, and we they had the uh, Z- uh, was it Zyrica, Zyrica, the uh, four, yeah, right. four. But we thought maybe two stereos would be easier to find than four. <laughs> four stereos, especially considering that, like you know, the the iPod was still far off on the horizon, let alone like that the phone. Uh, so yeah, the idea of like you have to bring in. Well, I got this jam box; it barely works, and one of the speakers is all rotted out. But sure, right. So, so we we had that tribes of neurot project, which was our more experimental, you know, uh, like ambient, industrial, whatever. You know, we would just improvise within certain parameters, mm-hmm. uh, soundscapes and stuff, and and we would perform out with it occasionally, and and um, and it was really we wanted like how can our and it was the same time we were starting our label. In fact, that was the first thing we plotted was our label because Times of Grace was coming out on relapse. We're like, oh, maybe a, the great kickstart for our own label is this companion piece yeah. that's available from us. Yeah, yeah. You know, so like, uh, um, and the process, I, I still, that's one of my favorite recording projects is that Grace because it had to be, obviously the mood of the energy of the music has to be complementary, because I mean, you know, the neurosis record is dense and it did it's, have it's, more it's space. Density. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It did have more space than previous records, you know, that we did give things room to breathe. So if the neurosis album had a dip moment, then you had an opportunity for something to come to the forefront and take center stage sonically for a second. Um, but you also realize that you could never be in perfect sync. So you had, yeah. we, I think, I think we gave things five seconds, either direction leeway time with oh, cool. no, okay. with everything was, so, so, so we, we knew it had to be arrhythmic. Mm-hmm. It had to be in key. Um, it had to be sonically complimentary. So if there's like a ton going on in the, um, in the neurosis one, you're in some big heavy riff, then maybe you just have some complimentary harmonics. A little bit. Yeah. 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 Not, you know, not, coming not through, have everyone going for it at exactly the same. And time. then, you know, here's a quiet, here's a quiet moment. Then let's have our sound guy, Dave Clark recording himself, walking around the subway, talking to himself. Yeah. <laughs> on Bart, you know, with a portable tabletop Panasonic recorder and coming back with a cassette with strange shit, you know, and Which put that in there. Strange shit, Bart would be the place to do it, especially back then. Right. So, <laughs> So really it was just finding interesting stuff and, um, and, and having those things of like, there can be no hard edits. It has to be all soft transitions. Well, the transitions uh, seemed like a very important part of, of the aspect of them being played together, but the whole record, like, it seems like it's all like the transitions are very planned out. Yeah. I mean, the neurosis record was done first. So it was definitely, we finished that first. So the neurosis didn't play off of the, Neurot one at all that all it all came second but did you, uh, did you think at all about the sequencing when you were, were thinking about doing the other record with it or is that pretty much no we we made just, we made sure that the album stood as we wanted it to stand that because that was was that the first one you did with steve that was the first one you did with steve yeah right? yeah and we did and we did the ep the sovereign ep which came out sovereign six months yeah, later yeah, yeah. 
and that they were done at the same time. So we knew that the sequence was going to be the LP uh, and then the EP. And, and they had to make sense one after the other, like, cause it, it ended with the road to sovereignty right. on times of grace. And then sovereign was the first track on, uh, on the EP, which also is a first proper neurosis release on Neurot. So like, it's no coincidence that it's called Sovereign. Uh, <laughs> I didn't even think about that. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was kind of celebratory of that. And so, so that was that neat era of where it all just kind of everything fell into place. And there was a nice combination of, of the gut level, letting all the music flow and, and letting things happen and getting out of our own way, but, but also being able to follow these kind of crazy ideas from, uh, from, from crazy idea to fruition. And you did that one, uh, we, we did the one, uh, what, part of Electrical Audio and part of Mr. Toad's? Is that right? In uh, San Francisco? Or am I thinking of the next one? Uh, that one was part, yeah, because we were dumb and, and thought that we needed to do some stuff locally for some reason. That's before we'd been to Electrical and realized that we just wanted to live there. That it's kind of like the best studio ever made. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Why are we pulling this guy out of the perfect thing he built for himself? Well, I mean, that said, Mr. Toads was a fantastic studio, and actually, uh, my, I, my bandmate I, I loved it. used to work yeah. there and 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 yeah. your stuff. And I remember him when I actually remember very well when you guys were tracking stuff there. I was like, oh, no kidding, that's awesome. Uh, but that said, yeah, Left Claudio is pretty freaking cool. And, pretty uh, cool. <laughs> anyway, so the so there's a lot there's a lot of weight there's a lot of a uh, sort of immersion in sound with that. Um, and yeah, as you mentioned, you know, sovereign. Like this is this is you. You guys are going on your own as your own entity. As you know, like and, and all of the there's going to be nobody to be like, wait, you want to do what? But but by the same token, you got to back it up. Yeah. With, you know, the money and the effort as well. And uh, that's that's a that's a big pull, especially for. And I think that was the same year. That was the same year I I did my first solo record as well. So all of like a lot of music uh, happening a lot of stuff yeah that was the year i became a dad and and as well like i so i think yeah would, times of grace grace sovereign solo record neurot recordings child that was a life-changing year yeah i think even, even one of those things would have been enough for a lot of people but <laughs> <laughs> you know, had a lot going on for sure uh so i mean when when you're when you think of of epochs of of the work uh, in neurosis like there there's always been kind of you know at least once you get past the early days an episodic sort of feel to things as if they're different chapters or different uh you know what is it books of blood clive barker uh <laughs> trying, trying to think of other, other like um short story collections and, and i'm blanking right now but how much of it was uh, so like what that that's got to be like what two thousand like around that neighborhood right that that that, that happened nineteen ninety nine was times grace yeah two thousand was sovereign but it's yeah. not like you guys were sitting in your laurels too like something never sets was like what two thousand one like you guys like like were just immediately just uh, yeah that one that one was pretty yeah that one was pretty quick behind yeah and that was that was also that period of time where we were searching for the balance of like let's not tour our asses off and let's yeah you know. And that's the, the one that direction. came with the. Uh, that's when they came with the DVD. Oh yeah, right. They had like yeah, we got it. We got a new new visual guy and and put him to task real quick. Josh Graham and went over the top with trying to create a yeah a visual accompaniment wow. for the entire record. Yeah, you know, accomplished. I mean, it was it was definitely a, a, a three sixty sort of situation. But how, was it a lot of it? 
did you have ideas for for what that should be or was it more like hey just dude run loose and you know show us what you got well i think uh he he came up with most of the ideas on his own. There were two other filmmakers who made individual videos on there. Um, but Josh did most of it. And um, we probably threw our two cents in there and, and I'm sure we critiqued things along the way, but I yeah. think we pretty much let him, let him guide it. Going back a little bit, when you did do the first record, uh, the first solo record, um, I mean, it's very different to do that when you're used to having not just a band, but a band that is like <laughs> a, such a big presence, <laughs> like there's, there's nothing to hide behind. Right. Yeah. It's yeah. And to this day, I, I as the crow flies, that's, uh, that's the, that's the first record, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. I'm still terrified, like to do it live in front of people, you know, standing, standing up there with your bros, getting ready to crush everything in sight is way different than <laughs> hey, here's me and my acoustic Here guitar. <laughs> yeah. Do I need to say something between songs? What should I say? Right, right, right. Yeah. What do you want to talk about? Hey, uh, Hey, what's up, Mike? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that, that was, that was, again, that was accidental a lot. Like, like this new record I made, you know, yeah. it doesn't have a guitar anywhere near it. And it, I didn't even really mean to make it. And, definitely didn't intend to sing on it. Um, that was a case of, I'd always had recording equipment. I had a four track recorder in high school. I graduated to a half inch eight track at one point and had always had a small studio set up at my house. And, and, you know, if I wasn't recording tribes of neurot or demoing neurosis ideas, it was 99 was just kind of the culmination of, uh, for the last bunch of years, I've actually been collecting these weird songs that have no home and that have had no purpose. They're the ones I'd do at like three in the morning when the mission district was finally quiet enough to hear yourself think. <laughs> you didn't have some, yeah, you didn't have You know, there's, there's probably the gas. At, yeah, there's... On their own, walking down the street to nobody in particular. <laughs> yeah, if you listen closely on those recordings, I'm, I, I can't hear it because I'm too deaf, but I'm sure you can hear like the gas pumps beeping at the gas station <laughs> right. corner from my flat. But, uh, you know, so that I just realized, well, shit, I guess... You know, these aren't these aren't supposed to be songs worked on with anybody else. These are private. They're my own and they're quiet, introspective pieces that yeah. feel like they, you know, they deserve to be thrown out there. Did you feel any any sort of hesitation? Uh, uh, just like it? I just like with the new record in the poetry book, it felt like, is this too egotistical? Yeah. Is this like uh who who the imposter syndrome rages during times like that? Like, who am I to think I can, yeah, right. you know, do this? Like, I'm not Jim Croce. What am I doing? Doing a, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> well, but I mean, an, but it, it's, it's good for you to, to say that because I think a lot of people, you know, maybe if they don't have that level of notoriety, think that they're the only ones that feel that. And I think it's, you know, I think I think most people with an ounce of self awareness has had the like, should I really be doing this? <laughs> yeah, does the world need to waste any resources on this? Right, exactly. So I mean, I think it's it's um, well, and, and also you know, it's a good record. Like, the, also the music's good, which is which is also well, nice. Thank you, and that, and that you know, I I do get enough of those ego strokes, I guess, to validate. Yeah. 
the the fact that I should trust I should trust the process more and I should but again it's never stopped me right. you know like I, I'm I, the, I was the shy kid who would hide behind a parent rather than approach the guy at the counter to buy a pack of gum you know as little you know and I right. didn't yeah, yeah, yeah. if I would not raise my hand in class in elementary school I would like die inside if I got called on in class you know like oh no yeah, but um, so it feels even weirder pu- pu- probably to be putting something out and have it be, you know, oh, this is my name. This is, this, this is for sure. Yeah. Like, you know, the, right probably the only thing that prevented me from that is the, the act of actually coming up with a band name is probably one of the worst oh God, it's gotten, it's so bad. things that anybody ever has to go through. But, um, so, so yeah, it was just kind of like learning to own it and, and being all right with it. But, you know, again, like I thank thank you punk rock, you know, because that's where I took my first band's crappy demo tape and around to skate shops and record stores. And Hey, we, man, we see, we sell my demo. Yeah. You know, (laughs) with, with the unearned confidence of the young, where you're just like, Hey, let's do this. Yeah. You go talk to him. No, you go talk to him. No, you go talk to him. All right. Before you have like some friend be like, Oh, you talk to so-and-so like, yeah. (laughs) Oh, wow. I never even thought of talking. I'm like, Oh, okay. Well, yeah, you know, you can call this guy and ask to play the just, club. What? Just, just a dude. I mean, <laughs> yeah, just a dude. Uh, so then, uh, this, the and then the so the second record that and that's the one. Uh, that's the one that's got the uh, the, the the poem at the end. That's your it's your um, my grandfather. Your yeah. Mm-hmm. And so was that a thing? I, knowing nothing about your grandfather was that was that a thing that like he did was he was he a poet was he he he, he wasn't a poet um but he recited poetry he had mo- mm-hmm. poems committed to memory no kidding um, wow okay yeah and i was looking for one i remember him telling when i was a kid uh, it's robert service poem the cremation of sam mcgee which was kind of kind of humorous because it's about a guy dragging his dead buddy's corpse through the like klondike you know, gold claims in the Yukon or whatever, you know, and, and, uh, just cursing his name as he's dragging him, you know, yeah, yeah. to give him a proper burial or whatever. And the guy comes back to life when they find when he, he, he go, puts him in to be cremated and he comes back to life. He just wanted a free <laughs> ride. So, but that's the only poem I ever heard him. I remembered him saying. And so I was like, how am I going to integrate this kind of comedic poem? Yeah. 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 Into something serious, but I was sure, I'm sure there were some lines I could loop, and I never did find the recording of that poem. But in digging through my dad's reel to reel tapes, I found because uh, uh, my dad had a TAC reel to reel that he recorded oh, like one of those old school ones. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 And um, and I found this one of him reading the harpy. Yeah, and wow, it's cool. Like that yeah, was like it's, it's gold. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. like man, that's. That's like there's not that's not funny at all. Gold, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's 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 dark and contemplative and deep. Yeah. And uh it's a great closer. Uh, meaningful. And so yeah, I think me and um uh oh spacing. Who'd I record it with? Um uh I can look it up. <laughs> yeah, brain. 50 year old brain moment. Uh, I can Desmond. Yeah. Desmond. Uh, we took manipulated some of the backing tracks from one of the other songs and, uh, created that, that 
trippy background for it. That was a that was a nice kind of moment, which ties into a lot of those themes I deal with most of the time anyway. Of you know, roots. Yeah. And, well, it, it seemed to yeah, it, it followed. Yeah, I don't want to say the narrative structure, but but it, it followed <laughs> the it followed the mood. It, it followed that same North Star that has been a through line through. Uh, you know, a lot of the music and, uh, yeah, it's a good record again. That's good. And again, that's, 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 I mean, those records are like, I use those as examples of like how to do it right. When I usually am bitching about somebody that did it wrong. <laughs> well, thank you. That's an honor. <laughs> uh, right? I, and then, so around that, when did you guys start in with the, the record Jarbel? That was, uh, 2003, something there. Was about a year later? Yeah, that that was, was like a later. down. Pe- I think a down period where we weren't doing a whole lot and weren't weren't writing or touring, and and we wanted to just throw a wrench in the work, and so we didn't actually want to write a record the way we had before. We right. we went into Mr. Toads. Noah and I went into Mr. Toads with uh, uh, some of the reels of a past Neurosis records, oh, and okay. we and we just put up Jason's drums. And pitched them down, flipped them backwards, looped them, cut them up, just to kind of give us like a rhythmic start instead of a riff. So you're you're instead starting a, it literally from the floor up. You're starting with the with the drums and right instead of like cool, trying to cool. fit everything to a guitar riff. Yeah, yeah. You know, it was like let, let's do something more rhythmic. Um, and you know, we're, we're over overdubbing in Noah's living room with small amps and doing weird stuff, and yeah. and we just didn't we didn't want it to just be uh, the next Neurosis record, but somebody else singing on it instead. We wanted to pull it out into something different, and uh, I think it worked. We came up with some interesting stuff that we vibe. wouldn't have yeah. otherwise. <laughs> yeah, I mean, totally. <laughs> if it suffers from anything, it suffers from the quality of digital home recording at that time. I. I I, I got physically ill when we mixed it, even though I don't hear those high frequencies, uh, uh, shitty, um, shitty analog to digital. Oh, the uh, converter. Oh yeah. If it's a shitty converter, it make, I get physically sick. Yeah. Cause there's that, that we, I don't even, I don't know the frequency range, but there is that like super high frequency, like the dog frequency, the dog. Yeah. Frequency, I, the, uh, oh, there's a word. I had a, I had like a horrible headache, you know, and and it was just awful. That sucks, man. And that's uh, yeah. Well, it's an interesting, it's an interesting record, and it was something where, you know, for me, that I think that was the first thing I ever I ever heard uh, Jarbo do like that, and that that was like it's it's interesting to hear something you know in a different context that way. Yeah, and she's a really unique singer. She's Very much so. what we really what we really like uh, about her was her ability to embody what she's singing. Like she really becomes, yeah, the she, song. She, she becomes the music. She occupies it. She lives it. Like it's you never have to worry about if she if she's gonna sell it or not. She 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 is for it. sure. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So then. Uh, when so so the Lashing and the Rye record, the Harvestman record. Uh, when did you decide it's going to be a band name rather than just under your own your own name? Well, because I was doing this other it, again. It was like the it was the home recording mm-hmm. 
situation where, you know, clearly now I'm in this room surrounded by synthesizers and amps. It's, it's clearly become a problem by this point, but I was, I was doing a lot more, um, home recording that didn't didn't have a home. It wasn't tribes and neurot. It wasn't Steve Von Till. Cause it wasn't, uh, kind of acoustic based. It wasn't songs. They were more like improvisations. They were like psychedelic, um, it was a place to kind of cram everything else, like obsession on ancient European mythology, fuzzed guitars, lo-fi recording, yeah. you know, uh, um, trapping abstract crap in analog delays and letting it go forever and playing guitar on top of it or, you know, all the, all the weird stuff that didn't have a home kind of congealed into this, uh, yeah, I don't know psychedelic treatment my, my love for dub music which even though i don't actually make dub music like that idea of the studio is the instrument and whatever you tracked oh, doesn't yeah, even yeah. matter right, right you manipulate it after in the course yeah the, i am yeah, gonna yeah, screw yeah. that yeah, yeah screw that thing up you know and, and sound manipulation so all of it so it's kind of where the ambient and the psychedelic and the and the home recording all of that kind of just congeals fuzz guitars synthesizers or Tangerine Dream and Brian Eno crash into uh, Skull Flower and Flying Saucer Attack or something, you know? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Um, I mean, so, the, so the I, I needed a name for different. that. Yeah, yeah it's way, it's, it makes sense, but I, I just I'm always curious where people have the dividing line in their own mind. On, on, on yeah, it, it's that. That's more like I come in here, I turn the power on, and I just start screwing around. And um, except for this new Steve Von Till record that turned out to be the new Steve Von Till record. Cause it, a guitar never got picked up and it became this other thing. And, and Randall Dunn became the voice of the muse for a moment and challenged me to sing on it. But, um, so yeah, it's, it's with, with this new record, it wasn't always clear, but a lot of the times I'm clear on what's harvest, man. I come out here kind of, and I'm staring at my Mutron biphase or my, you know, uh, filter machines. And I'm like, okay, let's, yeah. Into here we go guys. yeah <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly um so yeah and uh well and i i don't want to i don't want to miss i've every storm too because i feel like that's a that, that's also that's an underrated record in the neurosis pandan but it kind of seems like uh you know god what was there there was I'm trying to remember that's that's when all the bands that like ripped off the one gang of four thing were like kind of becoming popular like around that time period like it was just such a bizarre and like absurdly silly time in, in music and but it almost seems like that one had like a big folk element to it as well uh in mm. certain ways but but through yeah, the I never, yeah. <laughs> yeah i see the folk word like dropped a lot and i I see that more in souls at zero than anywhere else where we had goofy flutes like Moraski <laughs> going back to me. He's like, man, I really like, you know, what you guys are doing with neurosis, you know, after we kind of changed, you know, and became the apocalyptic ding dong thing. But, uh, right. <laughs> he, uh, but he's like, but I, I don't really like those Hobbit parts. And he, he was, <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, you, could, you know, and when you listen to the uh, the strummed acoustic guitar with the flute come in, you can't. You're like, oh yeah, well you're right. Maybe we maybe we didn't need to do that, but I guess we had to to get to the next place. Fucking around, get it out shire. of our system. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the neurosis record. But um, what, what, the way I see, I have every storm is that whole thing we discovered in times of grace where we were learning to like let things breathe. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. I have every storm was like taking that as far as we could. I think in that direction, like, like as much as through silver and blood was the most suffocating. Yeah. Dense, yeah. like Super relentless. Hyper dense. Yeah, yeah. Don't ever let them up to breathe. If they think about it, beat them back down. Um, why do think something four times when you can do it 64 times? Um, Whereas as I have every storm was space and lots of yeah, space, let things breathe, record, yeah. dial back the distortion, you know, all, anybody who's listened to enough rock records knows that like the most fuzzed out guitars are not always the heaviest, you know? Um, and, uh, a lot more synthesizer, like going to classic, classic synthesizer sounds and maybe leaning on our pink Floyd pretty heavily on that one. It is kind of a pink Floyd record but almost almost like a metal era pink floyd record like that well we're 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 exclude yeah we're we're almost exclusively pre-dark side yeah that's post sid post sid we're not hipsters yeah so we don't <laughs> buy it we, we like the mythology as much as anybody else right. but live at pompeii is the era oh, because that that's where the, that's where they're doing the best stuff umaguma metal adam yeah, I, I, it's all the best songs of that those several years condensed into one set and, I uh, actually swore as a as a as a dumb young punk rocker. I swore up and down I didn't like Pink Floyd until I was uh, shown live at Pompeii. I'm like, okay, I like Pink Floyd. My first <laughs> tour with Neurosis in eighty eighty nine, we took a VHS copy with us, and we were like uh, ministers of live at Pompeii. <laughs> yeah, every, ministers of Pompeii. Every, every, everybody's house that we stayed at, we made them watch that. We're like, you got to check this out live at Pompeii. I love that the one Nick Mason close-up he gets is when he drops the stick on a, um, uh, <laughs> and then he just, and you, you see him kind of like, like just in the, yeah. <laughs> and he picks it right back up again, but it's like, that's his one close-up and he must've been like, you son of a bitches. <laughs> what about that butterfly shirt though? Yeah, I know. It's so good. I mean, that, that, <laughs> that butterfly shirt's amazing. Um, if, if that, like, the, <laughs> If it wasn't so badass, it would be like Spinal Tap worthy for all the moments. But it's like, oh, oh this, this is yeah, a band at its yeah. the peak of its power, like doing its yeah. Thing. Those, those I mean, amazing, and not to be Roger more. Waters doing that, doing that high pitched scream, you know, one of these days or careful, yeah, careful with that, yeah, all of it, just so gnarly. When I always, I always, I love the idea too of like, you know, they were doing this as as like we're gonna go to like the weirdest, coolest place and just make a neat thing. And like, there's not an audience, you know, like we're just, we're just doing I, the thing. And I was like, wow. I did a talk about it with somebody awesome. recently and the, and the podcast host uh, referred to it as playing into architecture. Ooh. And I was like, oh, that's good. That's solid. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's the name of your book analysis of yeah, Pink Floyd Live Upon Playing. Playing into the architecture, and it, it was Critical a perfect analysis. description because yeah, it works. I mean, <laughs> because that's why those performances are are better than the album ones in, in uh, the same yeah. song. But because because I think they're getting a feedback from the place. Yeah. You know, they're getting not from an audience, but from the the structure itself. That's interesting. I have to think about that. That's that's a that's that's a good that's an astute take. So there, there's there's a lot of hot takes out there, but that's an astute one. So. <laughs> take so so then like okay get so get back to me about the rest of the of, of the harvestman records because it's it's there's, okay. there's a for me it al almost seemed like there there has been kind of like a anytime you get repeated rhythms people always say kraut rock oh it sounds like kraut rock well what does that mean right you know, it sound like amandul it sound like craft work does it sound like noi like but 
repeated rhythms, usage of technology in such a fashion. For sure. And that, that is absolutely, yeah. So it, it's, it's in some ways it becomes like a shameless kind of uh, tribute to space rock, kraut rock. Um, like I said, Tangerine Dream, you know, uh, the synth stuff, manipulating sounds. Um, and, uh, there's a part of me that has this kind of genre of music that nobody else classifies where, where that certain era tangerine dream and the, you know, the first two Noi records and, uh, Noi two is my jam, man. I I freaking love that record. (laughs) Absolutely. And, uh, uh, cluster and Eno. And, uh, I like, I can draw this parallel that, that goes all the way from those into, into, uh, into Skullflower and, and Flying Saucer Attack, which I think I mentioned earlier, you know, yeah. uh, and, and and I can imagine... It's like the extreme creating, end, but yeah, I mean, it makes sense. Yeah, cr- creating some ultimate goal of all of that, like, um, it, it, you know, uh, getting sent to Adrian Sherwood's dub studio to get yeah. remixed. We'll fuck this up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just take this out of all context and br- bring up what sounds interesting and put just whatever you do, put it through tape delays over and over and over again, and then filter those. So yeah, that's a, it's a love for the process and, and, uh, and a spontaneity and letting go and then carving it into something at the end, all of the arrangements happen in the mix, you know, where it's just to take all this random shit. Yeah. And it can live from years to years. I mean, there could be something that's 10 years old that rises to the forefront of the next harvest man record or, Whatever you never know. So how and then, do you, how do you organize that? Like how do you have like just <laughs> don't? <laughs> I mean, but but seriously, like like where when you decide, you know, this goes in this hat, this goes in this other hat, right? Like where where do things sit around for a while? Where where they figure their own story out, or is it something that's driven by external pressure? harvest? Harvest man sits around and just bubbles up as as it as it wants to like i wait till things feel like they belong together mm, okay uh and and grab some things that feel like it makes sense like i'm I'm doing i'm working on a triptych of of uh actual dub mixes of some tra- of some tracks and and uh and so there's these series of songs which kind of belong together. And so I was digging through old stuff of like, Oh, I've got those other three homeless songs that could be one on each of the triptych. Cause they're all related from the same period of oh, same sonic cool. registry. Oh, neat. Okay. And the, you know, and then, uh, and then finding several versions of that so that, or, or yeah, I don't know it, then it all just comes down to in the end, what sounds good and what sounds like shit, cut what sounds like shit, leave what sounds good. And, and uh, and all that and and then that reminds me at the very beginning of when we were talking you're like uh, how you have the harvestman project how do you end up naming your book harvestman yeah exactly you know and it was i was thinking i i needed a title for the book it's a cool name i mean don't get me wrong you've got a cool name you yeah it, the name. <laughs> it it just made sense because yeah. it it's it's like an alter ego name yeah i need a cool name for a book that represent, and I, I feel like it does represent the poems. Harvest Man, and the, as a as a yeah. word, represents those poems, it, and it, it fits the modus operandi. If it's the mood, the the words evoke, it, like it it it's it's very fitting. Yeah, and and the way the record and the and the book kind of you know, or the way the record kind of inspired the 
doing the book by stealing the lines and all of that just comes full circle. So it's like, Hey, this is, this is my output. This is what I do. This is what I'm doing right now. I'm, you know, it's interesting to hear the story behind it coming together too, because there is a patience to it. Like there's a, there's a, uh, like it doesn't, anything's being pushed at all with any of it. Like it's very deliberate and, uh, it's something where I was either like, this is either really meticulously planned out ahead of time or completely by accident. <laughs> this is, this is the way that it went, but it works perfectly. And it makes for, uh, you know, it's, you know, I think mood music is overused, but it's, but it's a moody record. And it's, it's something yeah. that I don't think it's, I think it's hard to make moody records that are anxious. Uh, unless you're trying to make an anxiety inducing record, but like if you're, <laughs> Which is a different kind of mood, but right. I mean, it, it hit it hits the mark is what I'm saying, and, and it's something where there's a lot of ways it could go to it. But when I and I think of those more spacey, not necessarily in terms of like space rock. I mean, maybe a little, but like in terms of there just being more open space uh, neurosis records and kind of like maybe taking some of those lessons learned and applying them in a smaller format it, it like it, it it makes sense like the way it fits together it makes sense uh you don't have to have you know it's not the silver and blood you know why do a part was it four times you can do it 64 times like that <laughs> it's it's not it's not working too hard to achieve the goal but by by the nature of it being more relaxed it actually uh helps complete the spell so to speak yeah i i think it was you know it materialized by deliberately not being deliberate, you know, like, but, um, I don't know, just a, a giving it space, giving it space to become yeah. like, like I think so circling back to that idea, like not getting in my own way, not talking myself out of it, but also not even knowing what it was and just, but revisiting it yeah. every once in a while, like, what is this? This is curious. And, uh, you know, it kind of reveals those deeper levels of what we've been discovering all along from the from young guys forcing it out as, you know, kind of get it done. And, and then uh, to uh, to just, you know, hey, trust the process and um, and let things take shape, you know. Yeah, it makes me think about uh, I think it's a Jim Carroll piece where and it's been years but he's something along like he was going to run out of time to do the things that he wanted to do and that's such a that's such a young man and a young man specifically a uh, way of looking at the world and it's fascinating to me that with with your music you know be it uh with the solo record with Horace Man, with neurosis like it's still managed to be intense and to be very real and to have this unified aesthetic uh and and be heavy in different ways but it doesn't seem like there's a i'm gonna run out of time aspect to it at all uh but when there is it's like seeing the same phrase but with a different context years later and it's there there's a there's a a wisdom uh to it on this end that i think that I don't know. It works is what it was. I'm trying to say, but like it, it's aging and uh, taking it all in as time has gone has seemed to been something that, you know, not every artist can do that effectively. 
you know, some people reach their nadir very late in life. Lots more peak pretty early. <laughs> no names mentioned, but I think, yeah. you know, but, but in all seriousness, it, it, there is a, uh, you know, the first things people want to do when they hear a record like that, oh, it sounds world weary, but it doesn't sound world weary. It sounds world aware. The world is weary. (laughs) It doesn't sound. Is it ever? But it doesn't sound like a weary record at all. Far from it. And I think that that's uh, that that vitality that uh, that happens. I think that is a big key to why people connect with what you guys do. Because when you think about the vast and diverse crowds of, of folks that have made the music of Neurosis and all the the various bands and and things along in in the Neurosis circle part of their lives. It's it's there as a as a constant presence, and it's something that they get to grow along with the music. And I think that that's this is not something that you get to do. <laughs> or or let's put it this way: most artists don't wouldn't know to try or wouldn't have the ability to try. It, it's such a unique thing, and it's very laudable. And I'm articulating this poorly, but what, what I'm driving at is that. You know, when somebody says a mature record, that usually means run for the hills. <laughs> but it's a mature record. And I don't mean that in the way that people say that. And, but it's a cool listen. Like, I feel like it's something that, like, uh, what do they call them? Zoomers, like a millennial could, like, pick up. And, you know, if it's the right person, they're going to get something out of it that they're, that would be very vital and important to them. But then an old hardcore kid from the 80s could, like, pick it up and also be like, oh, this is cool. I'm getting something else out of it. Or maybe the same thing. And it's, I don't know, man. It's a hard, it's a hard needle to thread, and it's it's. Uh, I guess there's not really a question here. This is more just a soliloquy of of sorts, but yeah. Well, I I think I think that just you know somehow we stumbled into some source of inspiration that felt like it was for the long haul, and not for a quick burnout. You know, like once once you view it as a place that has no final destination, you know, that, that, that it's a journey. Like in, that's every way I say this is cheesy, so it doesn't matter. No, but no, um, I, say, I say worse every day. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, once you, once you realize that it, it's like the quest for the Sonic Holy Grail and you know, you're going to die not having found it yet. Mm. Uh, mm. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. like. <laughs> and, <laughs> so, and being okay with it or like not okay. And being okay with it yeah. because, because it, it's, it's all about the trip. And it's all about what going on and discovering things along the way. So I have to always believe with that, with that approach that the best is yet to come. Well, creatively, you know, this, this record, this record is great. The, um, you know, that last Harvestman record is great. Uh, that Neurosis record that came out a few years ago. It's, it's awesome. I mean, it's, it's like, you could just make a, you know, a, a silver and blood junior, right? Easily. That would suck. Yeah. And, but it wouldn't, it would be, it'd be ridiculous. Like nobody would, nobody would want that. So like, I mean, I think that that's, it, it's hard to pinpoint because, because you guys are very much of the underground, but you've just kind of developed your own world. There's, there's a lot of world building that's gone on with the, you know, be it the label, the band, uh, you know the, the the various other like projects and bands. There's a there's a universal constant to all of it, and it's uh, you know it's like an expanded universe. And most bands have a hard time putting together a good record, you know. So it's like 
<laughs> it's a laudable thing, and and the fact that you live it, and also you know everyone counterbalances that with family and uh, with you know living a regular day to life, day to day life like every other person in this screaming, flaming skull horror show of a world that we live in. It's uh, I mean, do you look at it and? Does it feel like, oh, that work is good and I'm happy where I'm at? Do you do you think about like things that you're like, ah, I wish I would have done that here? There's always a little bit of that. Like, oh, I, w- you know, wish something could have been better or executed in a different way or recorded better or I don't know, any multitude of things. But, but then you've got, I, I, I'm, I go back to that time machine paradox. If you change one thing. Right. You know, the entire, the entire, the entire future is, it becomes different. So in that, in that regard, I have to, (laughs) yeah, shit, we definitely shouldn't have remixed that record. Uh, But, um, uh, so really like in what time has offered me is a sense of gratitude. I am grateful that I've met the people that I've met to make music with. I'm, I'm grateful that I've uh, been a part of this DIY music scene where we have uh, comrades all over the world with similar experiences and, and, and uh, that have had this opportunity to travel and make music and that, uh, you know, we have every, everything about it is just something to be grateful for and not to take for granted. And um, I think looking at things with gratitude um still allows for the, you know, a space where you won't allow yourself to rest on your haunches. You know, you won't, I'm, I don't ever feel I, I'm too, <laughs> whatever that drive thing is, whether it's like, you know, trying to overcompensate for that feeling of not being good enough or the imposter syndrome and like, Fuck it! you know, yeah, like yeah. What, whatever that, <laughs> wherever the drive is from each of us that, that takes us to that, that extra level to make these things a reality you know, that, that's part of it as well. And it's, it's, so it's just kind of accepting all of it. And, uh, I don't know, just being into all of it, like the, the act of creation of, of all of it is wonderful. Well, and you've been, uh, just, just like, just like, it's been wonderful talking to you, Steve. The, the one thing I do want to say though, is, is, you know, you guys got you, you, it's the longevity of neurosis is, uh, such a, so interesting and unique and even everyone like living in different places now and having all these other uh, things going on, like life things and other projects, things along those lines. I mean, when, when you, when you get back together and, and it's time to, to, you know, to play and you're sitting there looking at Scott and Dave and Jason, Noah, et cetera. And, and like what, what are your thoughts? Are there thoughts? Like, like, does it feel like it's, does it feel like a family? Does it feel like war buddies? <laughs> does it feel like all of those things at once? Does it feel like none of those things? Probably all of those things at once, like dysfunctional family and war buddies. And I mean, you know, cause we spend a lot of time apart and I think that's part that also plays into the longevity when I mean, you don't have to be on top of each other or go to band practice three days a week, yell at each yeah. other, <laughs> right, uh, right. you know, we cannot see each other for six months, eight months, you know, and then like, then it feels more special. Like, Oh yeah. You know, because you have this shared life, you've experienced things 
uh, most people don't get to experience, you know, yeah. traveling, traveling around the Western world in vans, making punk rock music, you know, and the seeing the shit you see on the streets between the hours of two and six. Sometimes literal <laughs> shit actually too. Yeah. <laughs> A lot of times, li- li- especially in San Francisco. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> uh, um, you know, so, so yeah, it's just kind of all that you've got these men you've known your entire adult life and, uh, and you have a, a shared experience that is hard to even communicate. You know, if I'm at, I try to talk to coworkers, you know, and, who've lived for lack of better term, not all of them. Some people have done some crazy stuff or whatever, but normal with, they, they haven't lived in punk rock bands. Normal right? human stuff, not, not yeah, band stuff. To, yeah. Right. And so to try to even explain, well, I'm in this band. They're like, oh, cool. You guys play around here? You know, like, well, no, not exactly. You know, or like, yeah, my brother's got a band. They're like, dude, Doobie Brothers, you know. So, yeah, not really like that either, you know, but. uh, Sort of like like asking what Frodo did on a summer vacation, you know, it's like. "Ah." Yeah, well, it's like that. What'd you do over the weekend? Oh, man, I watched. Yeah, I watched the game and whatever. Oh, that's cool, man. I flew to Holland and played a festival. (laughs) (laughs) but so it gets it gets a little bit weird that way and so really the only people you can share that experience with is people that know yeah. that have have that same thing so fellow travelers fellow travelers uh steve i'm i'm, I'm so glad uh that you did this and uh me thank, too thank you thanks so much for, for being mindful of my schedule and uh the recent tragedy and it's I was uh, been looking forward to this for a long time, so I'm, I'm glad we got to do it. Yeah, me too, man. And I'm I'm sorry for your loss. That that's horrible. Yeah, I mean, there's 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 no guilt in the lily, but this it's this this stuff happens. It especially happens for people that play rock and roll, and there's no other way to say it. Yeah, it was. I don't know. It, it always just brings up like I think some history of rock and roll documentary somewhere where they're interviewing. Uh, uh, Oh, here I go again. It's um, Pete Townsend, mm. and he's he was talking about the history of rock and roll is just uh, the like I forget his exact words, but it was like you know a line of corpses or something. You know, it was like it was just brutal. It was like all my friends, dark, are, yeah, all um, all my friends are dead. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. like shit. Like I guess you know. Hey, but that happens in life. So we got to take every day as it comes. And well, it's 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 why it's important to appreciate the people in your life while they're here too. And that's for sure, that's a, that's something I try to take away uh, from all this stuff, and some a, a way I try to live all the time. Yeah. And last thing, because this this would be a depressing as hell way to end a very nice conversation. Yeah, let's not do that. Uh, you know, you kind of already articulated this, so you can take this however you, you want, but you've heard the show. Uh, I end the show by asking people, why do you do what you do? Because I don't know how not to, I guess. I mean, I, I didn't do my homework for that question. Yeah, I, I don't, I can't imagine a life where, I don't know. I, I can't imagine a life without it. it. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't need to be an essay question, so that's. that's yeah. 
Good, because that was a shitty answer. But <laughs> no, I, I really, I don't know how to articulate it. I mean, it, it's been. You don't have to. It's okay. Yeah, it, it just it it is what it is. It's it's I have no clue how, how what life would be like without creative outlets like we've discovered. Steve Antill, uh, No Wilderness Deep Enough is the record, and Harvestman. Uh, there's like a subtitle. It's like something or other, blah, 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 blah. 23 untitled poems and collected lyrics. That's yeah. It. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, both available now. Uh, should, should people get that at the Narot site or wherever they're? Narot site or vontil.org, which links you to the same spots. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, well, like I said, you know, it's, I'm, I'm a dude that has limited patience for both of those things. And I think they're both great. So take of that what you will. Thank you. That means a lot. <laughs> and thanks for having me on the, on the, on the show. I, I listen quite frequently. So, Nice to be here. Well, right on, brother. It's uh, it, it's been glad to have you, and yeah, let's. Uh, anytime you want to come back, open invite. Fantastic. Right on, man. Right, Take Steve. care. Take care, Steve. Oh, there he goes. Let's like play something off of the uh, new record. Why don't we? Huh? That's a. Uh, that's something I didn't do at the beginning because I was real busy. Uh,
There you go. Can you hear me now? Steve Untail, man. What a guy. I'm, I'm, I'm real glad that we did that. And that was... Uh, that that feels very appropriate to me somehow as being the first episode uh, back after the, the tragedy somehow. I don't know if that, if that makes any sense at all. But Are we going? That's how my brain works. Uh, get, so get all that stuff in the Rotfest. Von Till. Uh, Vontill.com, I think. Um, I'm not kidding, man. The, the record's good. And if you're remotely the kind of person that want to, like to have a book of that kind of stuff, it's solid as well. The name of the show is Conan Neutron's Protonic Reversal. This is my farewell transmission. You can find this show on RadioNope.com, Thursdays, 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 Central, 6 Mountain, 5 Pacific. Mr. and Mrs. America, all the ships at sea. All around the world, Spotify, Stitcher, Pandora, all of the things. All the things. I've got fifty thousand watts of power. Patreon.com slash Protonic Reversal to get episodes of the show sooner. One dollar a month will get you there. No ads, no sponsors, no kidding. Protonicreversal.com for the archives. James Williamson next week. Iggy and the Stooges. Into electricity. What? Can you hear me now? Out on Route 128. Stay safe. Dark and lonely. Take it easy. I got my radio on. Take it easy. Can you hear me now? Can you hear me now?
if you're the fifth caller. Or any caller at all. Welcome to my top ten. I'd like to thank our sponsor, but we haven't got a sponsor, not if you were the last man on earth, she was prepared to prove it, this one goes out to a special girl. If there's no one there to receive It's the end of radio As we come to the close of our broadcast day Can you hear me? 